your Bibles, please, and open them to Exodus chapter 20, 20th chapter of Exodus this morning. And I want to uh, just say a few words before we dive into the Bible here this morning. Um, first of all, congratulations are in order. Where's Justin? Oh, he was here. Justin Shoemaker is engaged to be married, but he's not here to be congratulated. So we congratulate his parents. Congratulations uh, to Justin through Mark and Paula. Um, he was here earlier, but he left. So anyway, he oh, he went. he's going to a rodeo. Okay, that's all right. Well, if he survives until the time of his marriage, he's going to get married. Rodeoing isn't necessarily the safest occupation. So anyway, congratulations to Justin. And then uh, I wanted to just say another uh, quick word, um, add my uh, invite to the uh, Family Fall Festival uh, for this evening. We have and now from my boys and girls, well, they all, a lot of them are upstairs right now, but some of the older boys and girls that are here, um, just know that this year we've got something special and unique. I'm looking over at the Allen family. Are we still on? Are we still good? Okay, I haven't been telling people. I was, a, a couple of Wednesday nights ago at KidZone, I was talking with Carson and Christian, and they brought an incredible idea of something that we can add to our Family Fall Festival. So you're going to have to come tonight to find out exactly what it is. And I do want to encourage you. You might think, oh, that's just for kids or that's, you know, the people from our community come. But the people from our community need you to be here to greet them and to welcome them. So even if you haven't already signed up for something, just show up, go find Jennifer and say, what can I do? And she'll tell you what to do. Um, So be sure to come uh, for that here this evening. And then uh, for our praises, pie and pots of soup. I needed a third P. My kids told me that I should say, uh, call it praise pie and food, but spell food P-H-O-O-D. Um, but we, we chose not to do that either. Um, but on that night, uh, Matt mentioned we're going to do some, some singing uh, uh, praise to praise the Lord with singing. We're also going to praise the Lord with testimony. So I want you to come with two things ready. I want you to come with a way to testify to God's goodness in your life over the course of this last year. And then we'll sing from the hymnal We'll sing songs from the hymnal. So if there's a song or two from the hymnal that you, uh, that you just really enjoy, uh, we'll kind of do a singspiration time together that night as well. Okay, So we'll eat together. We'll fellowship together. This, this, you don't want to miss these times. right? Like We don't schedule this because we don't have anything better to do. We schedule this because there isn't anything better that we can do. Like Let's get together and, uh, and praise the Lord together. So I encourage you to come. And do that. And then I wanted to say, I meant to say this last week and I forgot to say it, but thank you to all of you who um, came out, I guess it was two Sunday afternoons ago, to help us move Miss Carolyn Eichmann. Miss Carolyn, are you here this morning? She was here last week and I forgot to say it last week, but there were like 20 of you who showed up two Sunday afternoons ago to help uh, get Miss Carolyn moved. And um, we could not have done it without you. So thank you so much uh, for serving your sister in that way. Okay, Exodus chapter 20. We are going to read Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You ready? You shall have no other gods before me. Father, as we look into your word now this morning, I do pray that you would help us to see what is here and to be appropriately instructed and convicted and encouraged by what we see. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, the world knows today, often uh, many in the world know the holiday today as Halloween, but there is a celebration uh, that happens today that I, am, I get far more excited about. It's October 31st, and in 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 resolutions to a door of a castle in Wittenberg, Germany, and he wrote these 95 theses, and these 95 theses started what we today know as the Protestant Reformation, and so today is Reformation Day, and I always I think, you know what, one of these years we're just going to have a Reformation Day celebration, maybe next year, okay? Let's just do it. Next year, we're going to have a Reformation Day celebration. I'm going to dress up like Martin Luther. Um, we're going to drink German beer, and we're going to... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, right? Like, even I have, even I have lines. Um, but you can drink your German beer and then come to the... Uh, I'm getting myself in trouble. It doesn't matter what I do at this point. Some of you are like, yeah! And the rest of you are like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. He's pushing us. Happy... Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll have bratwurst. Happy Reformation Day. Um, at that, uh, the Reformation has come to be known through five, um, five theological points. The f- some of you have heard of the five solas of the Reformation. Some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The word sola is a Latin word. Who knows what the word sola means? It means alone. That word means Alone, and the five solas of the Reformation were five things that, and at the time it was it was the uh, Martin Luther was was a Catholic, and as he began to come to understand certain things about Scripture, he began to write certain things, and eventually he was kicked out of the Catholic Church. And really, the Lord used Martin Luther to begin what became known as Protestantism. And these five solas of the Reformation kind of marked this break from. Roman Catholic doctrine and Roman Catholic theology. And these five solas are as follows. I won't use the Latin words. I'll just use the regular old English words. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and then kind of the final and overarching one was glory to God alone. And today is Reformation Day, and it would be appropriate for us to remember those five solas, and especially that final one, glory to God alone. But I want us to know that when Martin Luther and those who followed him kind of codified these five solas of the Reformation, and the one glory to God alone, he's not the one who came up with that. He didn't invent the idea that there was one God and all glory belonged to him. No, one, one author actually said that this idea of there being one God, not only is it the first commandment in the Bible, it's the first idea presented in Scripture. Who knows the very first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first idea is that there is a God, there is a there's one God, and there is this creator God. And this morning we begin finally with a first the first commandment of the 10 commandments or the first word of the 10 words, the first instruction of the 10 instructions. We are finally we're finally here this morning. Today's text is short and sweet and simple. You shall have no other gods before me. There's, there's only one God, 
and you must worship him alone. And this morning, as we look in this verse, as we look at this very first of the ten words from God to man, we're going to look at it, uh, we're going to make several observations about it. First, we're going, to, we're going to look at the first command in relationship to God, and then we're going to look at the first command in relationship to you, and then we're going to look at the first command in relationship to Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, I failed to have them ready to put on the, on the PowerPoint this morning. But point number one will be the first command and God. Point number two is the first command and you. And then the third point is the first command and Christ. Let's just start by taking this first word at face value and understanding simply what it means. Remember, I, mean, there, I was really frustrated as I thought about presenting this this morning because I knew that we would all be sitting here in our Sunday best in a climate-controlled building that we're very accustomed to, that we're very used to, we're very comfortable here. But you'll remember that when the people of Israel are receiving this command, they've been traveling in the wilderness, and they've come now to the mount that we know, Mount Sinai, and, and they've come to the mountain of God. And the mountain of God is this terrible place. It's this awesome place. It's this place where there is fire and smoke and lightning, and the earth is trembling, and they are literally hearing an audible voice from God. There's just no way for me to recreate any of that sense of awe in here this morning. It's, it's me, and we're in this room. But I, I want us to understand that the first time this word, this first and, and overarching word, was given to mankind it was given in this fearsome place. It, it, it's the kind of setting where it wouldn't have mattered what God said in that moment. The people's instinct would have been to bow and to worship and to say, yes or whatever you say. I want that to be our heart this morning. As we go through these 10 words over the next 10 weeks, I want our hearts to be, yes, sir, whatever you say. And so I want you to actually start by asking yourself, are you willing to obey these 10 instructions from God? Like, are you willing to just put your yes right out there for God from the very beginning? I think for many of us, we've been Christians for a long time, and we start to kind of lull ourselves. We start to begin a, to believe a little bit of a lie that, like, we're basically 99% there. And that for the rest of our lives, God's going to, he's just going to tweak a little bit. Like, yeah, there might be something that I need to change at some point, but like, I'm, I'm, now we would never say that, but I think we think that. I actually do think that we, we kind of feel that way about our Christianity. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that when God illuminates his word to you, that you just need to get used to living a life of saying, I repent, I, I'm wrong. I was wrong about I was wrong about you God I was wrong about me I was wrong about the way that I've been living my life because what the word of God does is it brings it brings a corrective influence into our lives and for each of these 10 commands you you might be inclined to think that like no oh, I get a 
I get like an 8 out of 10 on this command, then I get like a 4 out of 10 on that command. And on that command, man, I think I'm close to a 10 out of 10. I've never killed anybody, so like 10, I'm going to give myself a 10 out of 10. But brothers and sisters, listen, that, that is not how your relationship to the commandments of God, to these instructions of God works. It, it's, it's pass or fail for every single one of them. And none of us have passed them. So as we, as we look into this command, we see that, that God is establishing a couple of things here. He's establishing that he is the one true God and that people must worship him. You remember the, 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 the ten hand gestures that I used for, uh, um, for the Ten Commandments? I'm going to review them again um, uh, each week. I'm going to try to remember to review them each week so that by the end of the ten weeks, even you will have a way to remember all ten of the Ten Commandments, right? They're cheesy, but man, this is, this is how I remember them, right? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, and this is a little, this is a person's knees, uh, they're, they're kneeling down in front, of a, in front of a, thou shall have no other gods before me. Cover your mouth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, number four, I take my hands and I, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five is honor your father and mother. You can, you can do them right along with me if you want. Um, number six is thou shalt not kill, right? Like, so here's a person and here's a sword, right? And they're killing the other person. Number seven is thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Man and woman, other people, nobody's coming in between, husband and wife, right? So thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight is thou shalt not steal, right? Number nine is um, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not lie. And then number 10 is thou shalt not covet, right? So there's the 10 commandments in very simple hand gestures. You may have an easier way to remember them. That's just, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not kidding when I say that's how I remember the 10 commandments. I literally, if you come into my office and you see me, like I'm, I'm literally physically doing those hand gestures to help me remember to help me remember the Ten Commandments. And this, this first commandment is a command where God establishes who He is, that He is God, and that there is only one God. And remember, brothers and sisters, that Israel is in a context. The world at that time is a world full of people who worship many, many gods. It's a weird thing to only worship one God. Why would you only worship one God? Why would you limit yourself to only worshiping one God? Because you need all you need the fertility God and you need the sun God and the moon God and you need the different gods of the seasons and you need the household gods and you need all these other like why limit yourself to only worshiping one God? And so the people of Egypt and the people in Canaan and the, the so the people where Israel was being delivered from and the people where Israel was going like everybody's polytheistic. That's the big fancy word for they believed in many many different gods. And brothers and sisters, Israel had come to be worshipers of multiple gods as well. They're in a context where polytheism is more understood than monotheism. And God says to have no other gods before me. By the way, we haven't started the body of the sermon. I have a long intro and then relatively short main points. Okay, so I'm still in my intro right now. We're, we're, we're just explaining what the, the command at face value means. God says to his people, I, um, you shall have no other gods before me. And there's a couple different ways you can understand that phrase, before me. One, one way is to understand it as like a, a ranking of priority. 
right? Like God says, um, you can't have any other gods. Um, I'm the number one God. And, and of course, by that, he means there are no other gods, but you can't, you can't put a God in, on top, you know, above me. And another way for us to understand this phrase, no other gods before me, is my understanding, I, I never studied Hebrew, but my understanding from reading people who do understand Hebrew is that it has the idea of in front of my face. You can't have other gods in my face. You can't go and be idolatrous in front of me. Well, where can you go where you aren't in front of God? Well, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There's, there's nowhere there's nowhere that you can go and not be in front of God. John Calvin, the great reformer, says this, like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes only to vex his mind the more. That is what we do when we bring our idols before the face of God. Calvin's using really strong language. I mean, he's using the imagery of adultery. And do you know what language God uses when he describes your love of other gods before him? Right, right now we're tempted to think of a bunch of other people in our lives. Stop. Because you and I have been guilty of breaking this first commandment. Another pastor, Kevin DeYoung, writes this, in, in, having, um, in having a God before the face of God, to bring an idol before the face of God, he imagines it in the context of marriage. And he says, now imagine this. Imagine, imagine me going home to Angie one evening and saying, hey, babe, it's good to see you. Uh, I want to introduce someone very special to me. Uh, don't get me wrong, you are also very special to me, but I've met someone else. She's lovely, and I'm, I'm going to spend some time with her, but also a lot of time with you. I just want to let you know that some nights I'm going to be with her instead. I think the two of you will get along just fine. You'll be great friends. You both mean so much to me. Right? Like Everybody in here is feeling awkward right now. You're like, please stop. We don't like that illustration. My wife's blushing. I don't even like saying it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, so, it's so awkward and it's so uncomfortable that we want to hurry up and move past it. Brothers and sisters, do you know that that kind of sin is an illustration of the kind of sin we commit when we worship other gods before God. It's not vice versa, right? Like, that's not an illustration of what we do in our human relations. Like, our human relations are a picture of what we do to God when we bring in other gods before his face. Why is this, why is this um, such a horrible sin? It's because there is a God. There is one God, 
He is the one true God. There aren't other gods. There is nothing else worthy of our worship. That's why worshiping things other than God is so incredibly horrible and detestable. Now, as we dive in here this morning, here's here's my main point. If you worship God and fill in the blank, you do not worship God. If you worship God and fill in the blank, and fill in the blank with whatever you're inclined to fill in the blank with, if you worship God and fill in the blank, then you don't worship God. Now we're to the body of the sermon. Point number one, the first commandment and God. Like I said earlier, there's just, there's just no way that I can do this justice. These words from God, they reveal to us the character of God. They help us understand God. And God in His goodness is saying to His people, He's giving them an instruction. He's giving them a way for life to work well with them. And He says to them, don't have any other gods. I, I love the imagery of in front of my face. And again, there's nowhere you can go that you aren't in front of God's face. And don't you know, again, in this context, in this setting, this trembling mountain, an audible voice, and the people of God respond with, we know that their initial response is, yes, God, of course, we will not have other gods before you. This command, this word, this instruction teaches us about God. What kind, of, what kind of God, what kind of being gives an instruction like this that says, worship me supremely? Why does God give an instruction like this? It, it's because he is appropriately jealous of our love and our devotion. It, it's, for, it's for your good that God demands the, your exclusive worship of him. It's for your good. Every parent of a toddler knows this experience, right? You've got your little toddler and you're at the park, you're at a friend's house, you're in your backyard and the kid's toddling around, right? And all of a sudden you notice as they notice a pile of dog poop in the grass. Right, And before you can even, like the words are coming out of your mouth, and what does the kid do? Reaches down, picks it up, and puts it in their mouth. And you as a parent, I'm not being crass. I'm going to prove to you in just a moment I'm not being crass. You as a parent say, stop, don't eat the dog poop. You're such a legalistic, overbearing parent who only wants to bring abstract rules into the life of your child to make life hard for them. No. No, that, that's not what you're doing. You, you're, you're, why are you telling them that? It's because it's bad for them. And you have better food for them. And you want what is best for them. And when God says, have no other gods before me, he's saying, don't eat the dog poop. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Some of you, before you think I'm just trying to be funny or novel or inappropriate, 
Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 3, he says, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish, we've cleaned it up in English. The Greek word literally means refuse, dung, garbage. Paul is saying everything else is dog poop except knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else that you're inclined to worship would be equated with something that gross, that bad, that un-godlike. Right? Like, none of us, this, that's not a substance of value to us. We scoop it up and we throw it out. We don't want it around us. Brothers and sisters, from God's perspective, from God's perspective, the things that you idolize, the things that you bring before his face, the things that you put over him and that you're inclined to worship, from his perspective, he's going, don't, don't worship that. Don't worship that. It's not going to be for your good. The other reason that God says, have no other gods before me, this is so simple that I'm afraid we may miss it, is because it's true that there is only one God. It's actually, that's actually what is true. There aren't other gods. There is only one God. And so it's right for him to lead out with, there is no, uh, I have no other gods before me. Notice here and this is this is I'm under point number one. What the word, what this first word teaches us about God. Notice the pronouns that are used here. You shall have no other gods before me. These are these are first person. These are personal pronouns. God God is telling us that we can have relationship with him, that we can know him, that we can worship him, that he can be involved in and part of our lives. Again, in the pantheon of, of the gods of the age when the Israelites were being brought out of Exodus, they did not live in cultures where people could know their God. You would try to appease your God. You would make sacrifices to your God. You would try to earn the favor of your God. But to, like, to know your God and to have relationship with your God, brothers and sisters, God is a God who wants to have relationship with his people. We're going to see that most clearly in point number three. Point number two. So first of all, point number one, we see the first Word and God. Now, point number two, the first word, the first instruction, and you. What does this teach us about us? Well, first, let's remember what it teaches us about Israel. Here, we, we've got people who have been deeply shaped by the culture that they've been in for 400 years. For 400 years, they've been here in Egypt. They have been deeply and profoundly shaped by the false gods of Egypt. Uh, they, in fact, worshipped the other gods that were there in Egypt. A again, we tend to think that the Israelites were uh, enslaved in Egypt, and while they uh, were slaves in Egypt, they were this kind of pure religious people who were always rightly related to God, and they worshipped Yahweh as the one true God, and they were just kind of waiting around for 400 years and 
fervent prayer waiting for Yahweh to deliver them. But it actually is clear in the scriptures that when they were there in Egypt, they just adopted the gods of Egypt as well. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7, And I said to them, this is God, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. God is talking to the Israelites, and he's describing them as they they didn't forsake the idols of Egypt. They, they, They continued to worship other gods. And brothers and sisters, we might look at Israel, and we do this so often, right? We look at them in Egypt, we look at them in the wilderness, we look at them in the promised land, and we think, boy, I wouldn't have done that. But we do. We do. We are guilty of violating this command. As we consider the first command and ourselves, the first instruction and you, I want us to look at two things that this instruction does for us. First of all, it convicts us, and then secondly, it instructs us. But it does convict us. We're going to find out that none of us escapes the conviction of all ten of these words. We do love idols. We do have other gods in the face of God. You and I, we do. And there's a couple of questions by which we can kind of help uh, assess what our idols are. The first question is, what do you love? And the second question is, what do you trust? What do you love and what do you trust? Right? The, the right answer, we know the right answer. The right answer is we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to trust God. But I'm not asking you who are you supposed to love and who are you supposed to trust. I'm asking you, who do you love and who do you trust? Who do you love? So when we complain about the length of a sermon at 11 a.m. and on the same day sit and watch a three-hour game, it's, it's, obvious, it's obvious what we love. When we give hundreds or thousands of dollars to our hobby and little, if anything, to the work of God, It's obvious what we love. When we give all of our time to earning gold and silver, but give little time to the church and to ministry and to serving others, it's just, it's obvious what we love. I read one author and I thought this was really so helpful. In heaven, the the heaven the new heavens and new earth, is described with streets that are paved with gold and gates that are made with pearl and right, with all these. And in heaven, the things that are most common are made out of stuff that we treasure here on earth. I mean, what, we, we, we want the gold and the gems and the pearls, and the, but in heaven, like, the sidewalks are paved with it, right? Like if, if after church today I said, hey, anybody who wants to take some of the asphalt from the parking lot home with you, like you're, you're welcome to take that, right? And there's not going to be a mad scramble after, I mean, with the cost of building materials going up, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you would be like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. 
Um, but like that's not that we don't find value in those things there. But but man, here on on this side of eternity, we we will sell our souls for more for more gold. What do you love? What do you love? If I asked your wife, your kids, those who know you best, do you love the one true God? What do you trust? Where do you turn when life gets hard? What's your impulse? What's your knee jerk when you receive bad news? Call a friend, post it on Facebook, eat a pizza, watch a movie, spend money. Like, what, where do you go when things get hard? Where do you go? It's very likely, it's very likely you're going to see. Well, here's, here's, where, here's where my idol is. Brothers and sisters, for, for the person who is seeking God and, and desires to have no other gods before me, again, we're going to talk about this more in just a second. None of us, there's, there's not one of us who does this perfectly. This is intended to convict us. This is intend to, intended to show us that, yeah, I, I love other stuff more than God, and I trust other things more than God. For the person, though, who acknowledges this and realizes this, there is a desire. I do want to love God more than I love anything else, and I do want to trust God more than I trust anyone else, anything else. This, this is convicting. I'm going to let that conviction hang for just a second there. Not only is it convicting, but it, it's also, it does also instruct us. This is for our good to have no other gods before God. Do you know how wonderful life would be if you had no other gods before God? Can, like, I mean, just imagine for a second. If you obeyed this instruction perfectly, did you know you wouldn't need the other nine? We wouldn't even need the other nine. I have, I have no other gods but you. My heart is perfectly related to you. I don't love anything other than you. I don't trust anything other than you. I mean, life would then be perfect for you. If Imagine a world full of people who had no other God but the one true God. So do you see the good and the beauty in this? Like God is giving his people an instruction that like, if we could keep it like, like that, everything would be okay. God gives this to us as a good thing and as an instruction. And, and this, this is what makes, this is actually what makes the new heavens and the new earth so wonderful. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the tree of life. It's not that you won't die. Those things are great. Do you, do you know what will make the new heavens and new earth so wonderful? It's this. That our hearts will be true. We can't imagine what it would be like to be perfectly fixed on the inside. But don't you long for it? I mean, I long for it. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school, Romans chapter 7. The good that I don't, or the good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. 
brothers and sisters, the thing, the thing that will make, one of the primary things that will make heaven heaven, obviously to be in the pre- God's people in God's place and God's presence will make it perfect. Like that's what makes heaven. But like to, to, be, to be right, to be true, to have a heart that sees God and knows I have no uh, vying affection. I have no competition. I don't in any way, shape, or form want anything that's not perfectly in keeping with you. Oh, man. I remember when I was, you know, 17 years old and younger and hearing old people like me say things like, man, I I wish God would come back today. I am ready. I want to go. I want to be there. I remember thinking, man, I got stuff I want to do between now and then. Well, I guess I've done enough (laughs) where now I'm to the point. And if you're 17 and younger and you think, man, I I, I get it. It's okay. I think it's okay for you to want that. But I can honestly say I I am ready to be done. Not in a not in a sick, morbid, suicidal kind of nothing like that. But I just I want my heart to be true. I want to know that I have no other gods but God, and I just know that I'm going to go wrestle the rest of, of today with other things, other affections, loving other things, trusting other things. But if we would if we would obey this word, if we would obey this instruction, we would never violate the other nine. But we do. We do. We do violate this one. We don't follow this instruction. And we don't follow the other nine as well. So so what do we do? Where's where's the good news in this? Where is the hope in this? All right, Jeremy, great. Good start. Number one, right, we get to put an X mark rather than a check mark by. Have no other gods before me. And we've, we've broken this. Adam and Eve broke it in the garden. Israel broke it. You and I break it. And again, I, I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but I, like that's, I'm, it's very much on purpose that this part of my sermon is always going to be a part of my sermon. There was a man who came from God, who was God. And the command to have no other gods before me was perfectly kept by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth, and for 33 years, he had no other gods but the one true God. Now, he had the distinct advantage of also being God, but he also was 100% totally man. And so as our representative, as the second Adam, he comes, and for 33 years, he has no other gods but God. Jesus comes, and he lives this perfect life. Jesus Christ, first, first the worship of Jesus. Okay, and this brings me to point number three, the, the first Word and Jesus. What does this teach us about Jesus? There are three things under point number three that I want us to see. First, the worship of Jesus is the only way for us to enter into having no other gods but God. John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So worshiping Jesus is how we have no other gods before God. 
worshiping Jesus is how we obey this first instruction. It's, it's how we bring the blessing of the first instruction into our lives by worshiping Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus is the only one, I've already mentioned this, Jesus is the only one who ever did this first command. John chapter 15, verse 10, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus, Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commandments. Do you remember? There was a, um, we'll talk about him more uh, in future weeks, but there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And this young man says, well, I've kept all the commandments uh, since I was a child. And Jesus says, well, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And this man walks away very sorrowfully, knowing, oh, covetousness. No, I haven't kept, I haven't kept all of God's commandments. Jesus, not in a spirit of pride and arrogance, but Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments. Jesus is the only one, the God-man, who um, has no other gods before him. And then third, the third thing to note under point number three, for those who are in Christ Jesus, his having no other gods before me is now shared with you. Again, this is the good news of the gospel. This is why Christianity is not just good advice, but good news. Could you imagine this morning if my sermon ended at point number two and I just gave you a bunch of advice? Here are some tips and tricks on how you can have no other gods before God. If you like football, you probably should stop watching football. And if you like hunting, you should probably stop hunting. And if, if you... Uh, if you like your family, if you're tempted to like your family too much, you should probably move out. And right, like there would be all kind of ridiculous moral things that I would try to tell you to do in order to just like try to squish down the things that you love too much that compete with God. But Christianity is not just a list of advice. Christianity is not primarily a list of advice. Those come after. Remember the quotation uh, we uh, we talked about last week. I've got it in my notes. Um, the Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for a free people to stay free. You've been freed by Christ. That's why the phrase in Christ is so important throughout the New Testament. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, there's condemnation for you. But if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you and is thinking, okay, how does Jerry hold up to the first commandment? Well, Jerry, like me, like so many of us, have broken the first commandment repeatedly throughout our lives. But when God looks at Jerry, when God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ, he sees that Jesus kept the first commandment perfectly. And my faith and Jerry's faith and many of your, your faith has put, been put in Jesus Christ. And so that righteousness is now imputed to you as actually belonging to you. You are in Christ. So Jesus comes and keeps the first commandment for you because you couldn't. And so now, out of a heart of love, out of a desire to be obedient, out of a relationship that has been set free, I, I do want to 
roll up my sleeves and do my best. And I do want to be on occasion introspective and think, are there other gods that are vying for first place? Are there gods that I have before? Are there other, not gods, but things, idols, that I bring before the face of God and assume that he's going to be okay with them? Jesus comes, he lives, he keeps these commands, he keeps them for us. And for those who are in him, that righteousness is is yours. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For your salvation, for your sanctification, for your justification, for eternity, the thing that makes you safe before God is that you are in Christ. These are... These are the truths that I desired for us to see from this first simple, short command this morning. We all break it. We're all supposed to keep it. Jesus is the only one who did. Rejoice in that and now live like someone who has been freed. In conclusion, three very quick points. First of all, when you read the first command, it's okay and good to be convicted. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is evidence that you belong to God. If you sit here this morning and there's just spiritually, you're flatlined, it may be because you're not spiritually alive, that Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, that the Holy Spirit is not within you. If you listen to a sermon like this and think, I don't think I've ever struggled with idolatry. I think I've always had no other gods but God. Like I, I just don't think that's your experience if you're a true follower of God. Let, let the Spirit of God root into the corners of your life. Let Him shine the light on the idols that you may be inclined to pursue. Be convicted. Secondly, be instructed. Know that having no other gods but the one true God is good for you. That is where you will flourish. That is where you will be blessed. Be instructed by this instruction from God. And thirdly and lastly, be comforted. Be comforted in knowing that Jesus Christ lived this life for you. He kept this command for those who turn from their sins and trust in Him as their Savior. Be convicted, be instructed, and be comforted by this first command, this first instruction, the soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and the music team's going to come and get in place, and we're going to conclude with a song where we just praise God and uh, ascribe holiness to this one true God. Many of us in here this morning need to repent and ask God to forgive us for having other gods before Him, for loving other things more than Him, for trusting other things more than Him. Repent, but then be encouraged and put faith again, not for salvation, but for sanctification. Put faith again in Jesus Christ and His work on your behalf. If you are here this morning and and you don't understand what I'm talking about here this morning, or, or there is nothing spiritually going on in your heart, or you have questions and you need counsel, or you want to put faith in Jesus Christ, please 
uh, please don't leave here this morning without visiting, without talking with someone to have those questions answered. I'd be happy. I'll be uh, here in the auditorium for quite a while after the service and be happy to visit with you about that. Father, now as we sing, I pray that we would be keenly aware that there is one true God, the one true holy God, that we would ascribe worth to, to him through the work of Jesus, to you through the work of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand and then we'll sing.